Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This episode of How To Be 60 contains a frank discussion of racism and includes a racial slur. It is also a wonderful celebration of life thanks to the phenomenal energy of Andy Oliver, the irrepressible presenter of The Great British Menu. If you need a dose of positivity, you've come to the right place. So I feel fantastic, I do. The other day someone said, describe it, and I said, I feel like a rocket ship. Because I just feel like really jazzed up, you know. I feel like I've got a full tank of gas and I, the possibilities are endless. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. Hello, hello. It is How To Be 60 time with BK Adams and her Karen McKenzie. And uh, Karen, I have good news and I have bad news for you. Right. What am I getting first? What do you want? Give me the bad news first. Oh, how Scottish of you. Oh, give, me, give me the good news first. No, no, I'm going to give you the bad no, news I'll first. No, I'll accommodate you. Give me the good news first. All right. Well, the good news is I am beyond excited to tell you that I know the gift that I'm going to get you for Christmas. Oh, is that right? Yes, somebody was talking about it the other day and I thought, oh my God, that is absolutely perfect for Karen. Now, the one snag is that you're only going to get the real benefit of it when you die. When I die. <laughs> when you die. But It's an environmentally friendly coffin, taking no, stuff from my garden, no, twigs no, and branches and no, whatnot. No, 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 but you can enjoy the warm, fuzzy feelings you know, from now until you die. Well, knowing that you bought me something, and I'll never really trust you or find out whether you're telling me the truth because no. I'll be dead by the time I get the benefit. Yeah, but it's a lovely thing, honestly, and and your family will benefit from it. And Hang honestly, on a minute. Yeah, honestly, it's great. No, well, but actually, because I've got your, I, I know exactly what I'm getting you for Christmas. Can I just get in here now and say, can we do Christmas and not birthdays in, or are we doing both? Because you know what? Our birthdays are I have no quite... intention of getting you a birthday present. No, that's fine because they're quite together they're quite nearby because i'm the beginning of december you're the end i'm a fire sign you're earth you dampen my fire a lot a lot dead so that's fine so it's just christmas that's grand well i know what i'm getting you you know you get me excellent do you want to know what it is no but why not oh god you're like a child you clearly want to tell me then what it is well i'm not telling you what i've got you or not that i've not got you i do want to tell you what it is i do want to tell me tell me because i thought this was genius this is apparently a real thing that people do. It's a thing. Fine. They get their signature recipe engraved on their tombstone, on their gravestone. Oh, right. So, so you're banking on me getting buried? Yeah. Well, if, if you, I'll do it on your casket. If you're going to insist. But, you know, so I was, wouldn't that be lovely? What would you want? My signature dish. Oh, it used to be it used to be Mad Hair Jaffrey's um, Rogan Josh. Oh, my God. I loved that. It was great. Now it's chocolate fudge pudding. Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> mm, really sit food. well. Yeah, you're getting close to death. Eh, none of us know what's around the corner. No, no, it's just I think when you start going for things like chocolate fudge pudding, I think there's something. It's like a it's dog a... that goes into the woods and it's ready to die. I, I definitely think there's something happening. Chocolate there. fudge pudding. Yeah, but anyway, I don't want to dampen your fire. And well, <laughs> yeah. So, what would your signature dish be? Porridge. 
Oh, for fuck's sake. No, I love porridge. Oh, my God. I love porridge. I just oh, love porridge. I, I mean, and I'm, I, I'm to make no apologies that for it. Down my throat every day in life from the time I could just take solace. It wasn't even solid until the, the time I left high school. Oh, my God. And I used to, as soon as my mother was out the door, I'd put the porridge the scraps in the hen's pail. <laughs> the hen's pail went up to Tillicrew to my auntie and uncle's for the feed for the hens. Is this, oh. is this a real life you had? <laughs> yes. And do you know what the best of it is? I mean, and as soon as I left home, I never touched porridge again until I would say about seven years ago, I was asked to judge the World Championship uh, Porridge the World Porridge Championships in Carbridge. Oh, I'd love that. Oh, my God. And they had all these signature dishes or whatever, like kedgeri porridge. and You could pickle it because you like... Pickle pick... it? No, you pickle everything. Pickle porridge. You pickle bloody everything. You pickle courgettes, you pickle yeah. cucumbers. No doubt you'll be yes. pickling your brambles. Oh, pickle brambles. That's my... my um balsamic vinegar i've already done that why do you great why do you pickle everything i could try pickling you preserve <laughs> you a bit better than because you're looking older just a wee bitty just a wee bitty i thought i was looking all right actually well, that's all relative yeah do you think yeah, I, yeah. pickling's good key did you see the picture Until you look pickled <laughs> yeah no, did you see the picture of me and your friend jane moore which is the bad news no. i'm going running away for the weekend with jane moore and nadia so we're dumping you we were going to go, we thought... Were right, you ever going to ask me? No. No. Um, we're thinking, we'll either go the West Highland Way or we'll go camping in the Your arse. Your arse. That is so not happening. Where are you going? Marbella. Oh, seriously. <laughs> I hope you don't burn. Um, now, Andy Oliver is with us today. I'm just thinking, I'm sure I, you'd benefit from me coming along to Marbella with you. I think That's you'd love right. it. You wouldn't fit I in. Bit. You just wouldn't fit in. I mean, such a trick. Would I really actually want to be with you? judging me the whole no. time to be honest we could do with someone to clean um so andy oliver is yeah, with it's apparent you don't clean <laughs> can i just say get that script out there look at the mess here i can't remember what you spilt it's disgusting it was your pickled cucumber and it looks like a big jobby mark it's horrible for god's sake Kay, this place is like andy oliver is not going to like this kind of chat please it is. She's sophisticated. She's metropolitan. She's urban she doesn't want to hear about shite marks on our table and back to the dead flies and stay on the way up they're increasing again. Right, move on. Andy Oliver is with us today. She's the presenter of the Great yes. British Menu, yes. formerly a judge, now the presenter. Um, her book is The Pepperpot Diaries, oh, which maybe we could get case. engraved on your tombstone. <laughs> um, stories from my Caribbean table. I don't know what her porridge, her, what her porridge would be. She probably doesn't do porridge. <laughs> I wonder if she has ever. Oh, find out she's ever tasted porridge. But I'm wondering what her recipe would be, but she'll she'll tell us. She'll mm -hmm. tell us that. Mm -hmm. Um, you you sent me one of your weird pictures recently of mushrooms. What? Oh my god, the chanterelles that we picked. Did you they did you were, pickle them? No, no, no. They were straight down the gullet. Well, actually, no, that's not true. I cooked them. I cooked some of them and and froze some. But oh my god, just where did you get them? Up up north. You can you see? The bit like where? What do you mean? In the heather? Like Waitrose? Oh, shut up, for God's sakes. Outside, it's called foraging key. Oh, my God. Garlic, onion, cream, parmesan. You're good aren't you? Uh, some fresh herbs. God, stunning. You're just stunning. trying to impress Andy Oliver. Maybe. Garlic, maybe cream, herbs. Ooh. That's, that's what you're you You're picking need. bloody mushrooms off the roadside. Oh, that's my God. No, they weren't off the roadside. They were gorgeous. From a meadow? In fact, meadow. Do you get meadows in Scotland? Not really. No. 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 And uh, my sister, Christine, who's home just now, she actually just sent this morning another picture of ones that she'd picked up just like yards away from the house. 
I know. So that's the benefit of Scotland and rain. So then, you know, the more rain you get, the more mushrooms come up. You're like, it's, um, I'm so excited. You're like Barbara from I The Good lo- Life. Barbara, was that the? She was actually the nice one. Was she one. the nice one? I'm Margot Ledbetter. Oh, God, yeah. No, I'd much rather people, people like Barbara. Margot was just a, a cut above. Oh, she thought she was the bee's knee. I know. I'm going to own Margot. That's fine. You can own her. Yeah. Because she, I don't know if she's well liked at all. No, you'll fit very much into that. <laughs> she will. Well, it's better than who I usually get um, mistaken for. Have I told you who that is? Oh, it's not what's her face. Um, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. She's a, a broadcaster. A news journalist. No, um, no, 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 no. I get that one sometimes. Yeah, you do. No, no. The other one. <laughs> oh, the other, the other one. one. Um, Julian McKeith. Oh my god, <laughs> that's not a compliment. Well, why not? She's actually, to be fair to Julian McKeith, all that poo stuff, gut stuff, it's all coming around. I met her once. I pooed in a Tupperware. Ah, for, for God's sake! She said it was the best she'd ever seen. Oh. That shut you up, didn't it? <laughs> did, did I did I dampen your fire? Oh Jesus! <laughs> the best she probably says that. No, I was day. at this event in London, and you know, it's one of these wanky events. And I was coming downstairs because they're always in a rooftop bar, guaranteed. And I was coming down in the left, and uh, this young people started speaking to me. So I'm being polite. Hi, hi, how are you? And I thought they recognise me, but they don't oh, know who I am. Yes. It always happens. Carol um, <laughs> Smiley. <laughs> no, no, no. And they started talking about diet and nutrition and the gut and da da da. And I'm chatting away, thinking, I don't know why you're asking me about yeah. this. And you, know, you get downstairs, <laughs> and I went, "Bye, lovely to meet you." The you know got out the lift, and I thought, Jesus Christ, they think I'm Chile and Mickey. Oh my God. I don't mind. Listen, I met her once. Go on. And she said to me, and my sister was at an event and she, I think they were up for an this award or something. Sister. This is my successful sister, Aggie. And uh, Julian, I knocked at the, I think I came along the corridor. There's no and shame Julian in being the runt. There's no shame in being the runt. The <laughs> Actually, you're all dressed in black, like the black sheep. I've been to a she, funeral. Oh, right. Sorry. Are you? I actually, yeah. Now you've put me off my stride. Oh yeah. So Gillian came to the door and she said, "And you are." And she just looked me up and down. And I thought, well, I'm more pleasant than you. I didn't say that, but I wanted to say that. Ooh. I know. And she thought, ooh, she was probably at the top of her career. And, well, that's all I'm saying. Scottish people, you can't trust them. Oh, can do you, you know what? The monsters that we create, Kate. Oh, we do. We're terrible. We're terrible. Right. We're ready for the email of the week, yes. and then we'll speak to you. Yes. Um, So this is a lovely email. I really like this. It's from Fiona. Uh, So she says, Hi, King Karen. I'm a relatively new listener to your podcast. I I love it. It reminds me of a ruder version of Fortunately, which was a previous go-to. I don't think we're rude, do we? We're a bit rude. Yeah. Uh, Firstly, I love the opening music. It makes me smile. That's that's nice. I just listened to Dr. Hillary and I thought I'd finally pluck up the courage to put pen to paper or finger tap to iPhone. (laughs) Um, I always wanted to be a mum. But I lost hope of it happening until I met my much younger wife, uh, mm-hmm. 15 years to be precise. Yes. After several years going through IVF, we finally had success. Our beautiful baby boy was born in 2018. Oh, And I was fast approaching 53. From that moment, I promised myself I would get fitter and stronger so that he would never say you're too old to do that. And that's what I've been doing. I love being a mum. Uh, But I was, and I still am to a certain extent, very anxious the first time I meet people with my son. Because my wife always tells me, you can't let it bother you as the person that will be most upset is our little boy. But I've three times been referred to as grandma. That happened to me too. 
That definitely happened to me too. Uh, The first time when he was six weeks old, uh, the second time by the window cleaner, which I let pass, the last time on holiday in Easter by a waitress. Our son was almost five by this time and he picked up on it. Why has she called you grandma, he said. Mm. Um, We laughed it off and I accept the presumption that maybe I was his granny, but what we can't get over is that my wife could be my daughter. And Fiona says, I'm not sure why I decided to write you, but I guess I wanted to let you know that approaching 60 means different things to me. But mm-hmm. listening to your podcast reassures me that it will be fine. Oh. Whatever life situation mm-hmm. you are in. And actually, at the end, she blots her copybook, does Fiona, by saying, by the way, Karen, I love growing vegetables. We eat our dinner at half past five, but we also have a camper van. And I was liking you up until that point, Fiona. What can I say? What can I say? Um, Got a lovely voice, though. uh, Well, listen, thanks, Fiona, very much. And, you know, I was just thinking about that, though. Like, Anton de Beck, who we spoke to a couple of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, with his twins that he's so, so proud of that he adores. Now, Anton was 50. Something when he had, and they're what seven or eight, yeah. Uh huh. And I mean, I'm not going to make a a male female thing that's too simplistic, but just enjoy your boy, Fiona. I know, I know, honest to God. And it's certainly lovely to to have him. I mean, I was 43 when I had Bonnie. And I got definitely got that a couple Is that of times right? about grandma. And, I, and I'm sure when you're over the age it. of 30, people think you're way past it. Yeah. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. thank you so much Bye. for getting in touch, Fiona. Yeah. Um, keep the emails coming in. We love to hear them. It is podcast at htb60.com. And I was very smooth this week because I wrote it down. <laughs> yeah. We'll speak to Andy after this. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Pile of shite. Well done, girl. (laughs) Pile of shite. Does that make you happy? It does look at your little happy face. It does <laughs> have a glowy Scottish face because it's I, I just love it. You say it so well. I don't know whether we should explain to people why. Uh, well, my my best friend is Scottish, and she I I didn't even realise it was a Scottish thing. Actually, I just say shy all the you know. Did I? No, no. English people tend to say shit. Shy is has way more impact. And Thank it's you. In the it's mouth. gravitas, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, swearing or any use of any language is all about how the weight of the word, isn't it? How it feels when you drop it, you know? And yeah. shite is, feels better to say than shit. Shit it, feels yes. less, less consequential. Like, uh, momentous. Yes. Yes. I mean, yes. If there's one Definitely. thing we Scots are good at, it's profanity. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, with my new granny status, it's going to come very soon. I am totally going to have to hone in on the, the swearing. Oh yes. Oh yes. my God, I know. I'm so bad at swearing. Karen, there's a swearing. Why do you have? Why do you have to? What? Because you're going to be a granny. You have to stop swearing. Really? Uh, no, no, I do. I do. Why? Do you? That's true. Why? I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. I agree with that. I don't want this me to be responsible for this baby and this profanity. The first it. word coming out was missing. It's true. I mean, I'm saying all this and then I have been responsible for I, In fact, my friend's children called me Auntie Sweary. 
because it was the only way to get around it because I was constantly swearing and she just got fed up and trying to explain it. So she was like, this one is very sweary. And they so they just they don't they don't even partial, as we say in the Caribbean, we're not partial, which means you don't care about it. it's fine, it's not a problem. What's I that expression? Status. Minopartial. It's oh, like, I don't, know, I don't even know what it's called. I don't even partial. It's like you don't you don't give it any any uh, countenance. Right. Yes. Okay. I like that. We'll adopt. This that is one. quite good, isn't it? Um, now on this porridge. <laughs> oh go yes. On. Are you going to have that I, in your grapefruit? I I fucking love porridge, <laughs> and I make a savoury porridge based on a really old Scottish recipe which is called a skirly, S-K-I-R-L-I-E, which Scarily, that's you, like what you used to make with parsley and leeks and onions and stuff. That's right like up my street. It's like, but if you think about it as an oats risotto, it's really not that big a deal. I mean, you've just got to, like, broaden your horizons, babe. Seriously, take that look off your face. No, it's <laughs> the texture of porridge. It's that slime, that kind of, like... It shouldn't be slimy. It should be silky. It should have some bite mm-hmm. to it, some texture, a little few things going on. And actually, when you make a savoury porridge, it's quite good because you have... You can put, like... You start with, like, a roast garlic, onions, a kind of little, a little base of something that's going to give you lots of... T- texture and then you put in like you could use your chanterelle that you just uh picked see foraging i have i hold no truck with foraging i don't like getting muddy I like, I like forage stuff but i'm not gonna go get it oh for god's sakes oh, listen, yeah, she, she's very cheap andy you tell me what you want to, have <laughs> to just, grub around in the muck for and i'll send get it. me out your pop <laughs> <laughs> I'd like some of the nice um, oyster mush. You know the big uh, puffball. Yes. Mush, those big yeah, white no. ones. They're amazing. I can't get your puffball, but an oyster, absolutely. They're the ones. Oysters that are good. Hen of the woods, chicken of the woods, hen of the woods, chanterelle are absolutely divine. Some girole, anything along these lines would be. But see, you, you're a true chef, Andy. She just pickles anything that moves. <laughs> oh, well, I love a pickle as well. It's I love a pickle. So you could. I'm um, seriously. I'm going to start sending you porridge recipes. Just what <laughs> don't. Even waste your time. Yeah, yeah. I think you the missed the bit that force fed from the minute I could eat. Roast pumpkin porridge is banging. Loads on. of parmesan. It's honestly, it's delicious. It's only the parmesan would make that tasty. I've converted everyone in my family. Everybody I know loves it. It's a thing. It's a thing, and I like it. I, I think it's a lot of meal. Maybe it's just the word porridge. It's the word porridge. You've got PTSD. You've got porridge. Traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> <laughs> You've spot on there with that one. So this podcast is called How to Be 60. Indeed. The kind of inherent in that, you know, just in terms of the way we tend to talk about aging is that people are slowing down or there's a negativity. And it's interesting that email I thought from Fiona in that she's feeling the negativity of being mm. an older mum. But I, I just don't get that energy from you that you feel that older equates to, you know, sort of settling down, the sun setting. You seem to be full power. I seem to be having the opposite experience that a lot of women and men, I guess, have, where they start to feel less and less visible the older they get. I I have become more visible the older I get, and I feel more uh, like I have the right to take up space. More, I feel more confident. I feel more settled in my own skin. I feel like I can stand up in my own shoes and take the large strides down the road and feel, breathe. I call it breathing the good, clean air at the top of the mountain. Do you know what I mean? That feeling like 
I'm just like filling my lungs with the good stuff. And I just, it's fantastic. You know, I, I guess in some ways, you know, luck has been involved, but I do believe that you you can draw in the what you put out into the world. I mean, you know, I've you know, when you I was very depressed when I was much younger, and I feel like I certainly attracted more depressing shit. Do you know what I mean? The the worse I felt, the more shit came into my life. And and the 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 reverse seems to be true. The better I have felt in my life, and the happier I am, the better. Uh, more positive, stronger, brighter, more empowering, good stuff comes into my life because I feel like I'm attracting it in. Um, and I, I turned 60 this year. I turned 60 in May. I just turned 60. I've just, um, and uh, I, I just feel, I feel fantastic. I do. The other day someone said, describe it. And I said, I feel like a rocket ship because <laughs> I just feel like really jazzed up. You know, I feel like I've got a full tank of gas. And I, the possibilities are endless. And was the actual day, was that a thing for you or the number was that a thing for you or not? Were you just, were you were already no, on I, did, I don't, I mean, to be honest, I've never really thought about age very much at all. And, you know, when you're younger, people believe you when you say that. As you get older, people go, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But I genuinely, I just don't really allow that many external things to dictate I don't really like rules from other people very much. And I never have done. You know, I was a punk when I was a kid, you know, for our age group. And, um, you know, that really appealed to me because I could divest myself of other people's parameters uh, telling me how to live, which which I was finding very difficult when I was a teenager. You know, all this sort of, I mean, I left school when I was 16. I was, you know, everyone's like, you've got to stay at school, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And I didn't want to do any of it. And I suddenly found a way through. Punk gave me a kind of direction, I suppose, in terms of I felt like I found a tribe of people who would just let me be myself. And that has been my saving grace, really, throughout my life. And it, it, nothing's different now that I'm 60. But because I'm 60, people comment on it more. Hmm. I mean, does that mean that life has been a bit of a fight? Indeed. Yes, absolutely. Something of a battle. Um, definitely when I was younger, I didn't realise I could make active choices about life so much. You know, you kind of you get to a certain point, you know, and you've had enough therapy in my case where I learned that I could say yes and no to situations and decide what I was going to do next. I never really planned very much at all when I was much younger. And I, I sort of felt like life was hurtling towards me at a rate of knots. And I was kind of, you know, sometimes I'd get slapped upside the head and think, oh, God, that one really hurt, and get back up again and keep going. Or you'd get smacked upside the head and think, oh, that was nice, or that was horrible, whatever it was. But I never really understood that I could make choices about which path I was going to go down and which, uh, you know, situations I was going to find myself in. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, well, going back then, you you were brought up sort of rurally, weren't you, in Suffolk? I mean, yes. so what did you feel was happening to you that you had that lack of autonomy? Well, Suffolk, there was, it was the 70, 1970s. It was Suffolk. Racism was rife. The NF were on in full power back then. Do you know what I mean? It was not, I was the only black girl in a very big 
school, a county upper school, and it was just like running the gauntlet every single day just just to get into school. It was a fucking nightmare, frankly. Um, uh, you know, I had one. I had a teacher that used to call me "you people." I would say stuff, and she would say, "Well, you people do, don't you?" And you know, just like they call that, that microaggressions these days. Although that's quite a macroaggression, if you if you ask me. So it was just stuff like that all the time, sort of signifiers externally telling me that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't right. There was something, you know, unbefitting of, uh, in my innate being. Of, of me to be, even just be in the world, really. So it, it was a battle to not just be completely depressed and stay locked in my bedroom. But then there's always been something in me that there's been a, quite a lot of kind of duality of life, I suppose. So there was a bit of me that felt really sad, very depressed, and I definitely internalised quite a lot of that. Um, um, but to survive, I learned to make people laugh. I learned, you know, I was a real performer. I kind of learned to move very quickly on my feet and really quickly in my head, like thinking four or five steps ahead of everybody else, just to make sure I didn't get it in the side of the neck. Do you know what I mean? So I felt like I was trying to stay one step ahead, but of course something would always come along and and, and knock me out of kilter. When I so I, I talk about this stuff quite a lot, and I I kind of always want to add that what it's done for me, like being bullied and going through that kind of stuff, what it's meant is that it taught me compassion. It taught me not to be an arsehole. Because if you're on the uh, the receiving end of that kind of stuff on a daily basis, you know what it feels like. You know what I mean? And it's like you, you know what it feels like when people don't give you the chance to be yourself, to open your mouth and, you know, kind of share a space with them because they decided who you are based on the color of your skin or your or whatever it is they've decided it is about you that makes you a less lesser person or subhuman or whatever it is they've decided that you are do you know what I mean so at this point in my life it ended up being uh those experiences throughout my younger years particularly ended up being building blocks to help me stand up on my own two feet. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like you have to, I'm definitely a survivor. I'm definitely someone who was never going to just stay down once I got knocked down. I will always get back up and I will always fight back. But, it, you know, you said life has been, has life been a bit of a battle? And it's like, yes, is the honest answer to that, particularly in my youth. And then, you know, mm -hmm. you know, you get, as I got older, you know, the world's changed quite a lot and very predominantly in the last few years, particularly, there are conversations that we can have about racism, about sexism, but about homophobia, about any kind of bigotry that really were very difficult conversations to have even 10 years ago, even 15 years ago in a in a public forum without it being you being labelled as a, you know, angry black woman or a troublemaker or a, you know, lefty whatever. So it's like, obviously, the people that you're arguing with will try to take uh, uh, attributes or, or component parts of your argument or your life or your discussion and try and turn it back against you. And it's like, I I am still not ruled by you, whether I agree with you or not, you know. So how was that dealt with within the family home then? So you know, I didn't really tell them much. I was thinking about this the other day and I was thinking... 
I was talking to a couple of friends of mine about it. And I didn't really tell my mom and dad what was happening. My brother knew because my brother was at school with me. So the same shit was happening to him. But we never really talked to them about it because what I realized is that we, we kind of protected them. Because I never wanted them to be upset. I didn't want them to know how unhappy I was. I didn't want them to know that I was going to school every day and going through all this horrible shit because I didn't want them to be distressed by it. I wonder if it's to do with coming from a first being a first generation born any you know any anywhere where a migrant family has traveled to being first generation there's a you know that your parents left home and came to this new place this other place because they wanted to make a life a good life for their kids they wanted to make a better life for their children and a better life for their family and give them opportunities that weren't afforded to them when they were wherever it is that they came from in our case it was Antigua you know and I think I absorbed that on some level and never really wanted to tell them what was happening because I didn't want them to be distressed about having made that choice. But they must have also been experiencing racism. They would have known. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. No, but they didn't know what I was going through. If my mum had known what I was going through at school every day, she would have done something about it. She was a teacher, but she was she taught at a, um, a primary school. She taught very, very little kids, a really small very small um, little classic school behind our house. Yeah, infant school. She, I mean, I've spoken to her about it. She lives with me now. We're really cl- we're really close. And I've spoken to her about it now. And she did. She did. She had no idea it was as bad as it was. I think she thought that the racism that we experienced as a family was the stuff we were dealing with. She had no idea that at school I was getting girls trying to beat me up and like being called nigger every five minutes by a whole gang of really nasty boys, you know, trying to corner me in the playground and all of that stuff every single day, you know what I mean? And I I also wonder, it's like, what did the teachers not know? They must have seen it happening you know? There's so much to carry though for a teenager. It, it, it was. It was an awful lot to carry. I don't carry it in my heart anymore and I certainly don't carry it in my spirit anymore in the same kind of way that I did. But it, it made me quite ill as a young person in the earlier part of my life. As, as, an ad, as a young adult person in my 20s, I was definitely, you know, damaged from it. My brother died when I was about 25 and after that, I developed a really very serious eating disorder and got really, really ill. And I think it was the final straw. Losing him was the final straw. And and I kind of went under. But that going under is the thing that really saved my life because having a nervous breakdown, in, in a way, it's your body, it's your mind, it's your survival, it's doing you a favour. Because if I hadn't had a nervous breakdown, I would I would have been still having a kind of white knuckle grip, trying to hold on and make out everything was okay. When it really, 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 really wasn't okay, I was not okay. And actually finally having a nervous breakdown meant that I could admit to somebody that I was not okay. And I, that, was the, that was when I started having um, uh, therapy. I hope this isn't a stupid question, but we use that term nervous breakdown, don't we? You know, conversation. What did that mean for you in real terms? What, what... It meant I had I developed a really serious uh, compulsive eating disorder. I could barely hold myself together in the daytimes. I was eating in the middle of the night, crying in the dark, um, trying to make myself sick. I and, and 
And also for me, the, the thing about that that was really very painful was that cooking and feeding other people had always been my route to joy. And it had always been this way that I found to make myself happy and make other people happy. And it was like the 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 one thing that I felt, well, one of the things, and music was the other thing that I felt I had in my life, that suddenly became a dangerous place and a dangerous thing for me. So I just wasn't able, I just was not able to function. I could barely like be around other human beings without having horrible panic attacks. But you had Makita at that stage. Yes. I had Makita when I was 20 years old. So she then, she actually then went to stay with my mum up in Suffolk because I realised I was not okay and I didn't want her around me so I sent her up to Suffolk to be with my mum and for my mum that was quite good because my brother had died and so having her grandchildren there my um, niece went up there as well was actually a really good thing for her it helped her you know survive losing her child you know Um, and um, I met this amazing doctor and because I met someone who had a drug problem and they had been into treatment and I was like they were explaining this treatment to me and I thought god that sounds amazing that's what I need and I said to her I wish you could do that for food and it was the first time I'd ever admitted to somebody that there was a problem that I'd had this that I had this behavior that was really terrifying me to be honest and she said you can you can. And what do you mean? And I started trying to explain it to her. And she said, no, you've got an eating disorder. I'd never heard these words, eating disorder. I'd heard of anorexia and I vaguely sort of heard of bulimia and that was it. I didn't know there were all sorts of parts, points on the spectrum of eating disorders and disordered eating and all of that. And she said, I'm going to send you to Dr. Lefevre. And she sent me to this guy called Dr. Robert Lefevre. And he said, no, you, you have a very very serious eating disorder and I'm going to let you and he sent me to a treatment clinic for free it was this place it was about five thousand pounds a week or something and I had no money I was a single parent I had no money and he sent me there for free for eight weeks and saved my life and I'll never forget him and I'll I'll always be grateful to him because he that was the point that my life started to change because I learned an emotional vocabulary and I learned to be emotionally available for myself and for other people in a very different way and understand what I needed in the world and and how to make choices and that I could make choices about, you know, not just situations that I was in, but relationships I was in with, you know, all sorts of people, my friendships and my sort of, you know, partner loving relationships as well. And the way I was with my family, I just hadn't, I didn't have that, um, that kind of emotional access to myself. I, you know, it, it was, it was like a gift from the universe. He was my gift from the universe and I grabbed it with both hands and my life started to turn around. You felt like a different person. I felt like no, I felt like myself, but I felt like myself as I could have always been. I felt like I finally understood myself and like I was living. I feel like I lived kind of from the neck up for quite a long time. And then after I after I had this nervous breakdown and all this stuff happened, I felt like I inhabited my whole body and started to understand who I was in the world and what I wanted and what I needed and what made me happy and what makes me sad and what makes me anxious and what makes me, you know, all of that. I am lucky because not everybody gets that. But I guess 
you know, I mean, you changed yourself radically with, with the help of of him and these people. But you can't change the outside world. That the the outside world has changed over the years, and in good ways. We hope in some, but not uh-huh. always. How much has the outside world kind of limited what you have been able to do and what you have wanted to do? Does that do you know what I mean? That's quite hard to quantify, really. What I've always been is quite adaptable. The first kind of broadcasting work I did, I did a show called Badass TV with Ice-T and, you know, that was really huge fun and I was really good at it, but I couldn't get any other work as a broadcaster. You know, as a dark-skinned black woman back then, it was like, it was just almost, you know, there was Fluella and that was your lot, you know what I mean? It just, there just wasn't any work and I constantly was watching people with less ability than me stepping into these huge jobs that they couldn't even really cope with or do and I knew I could have done it much better and I just got really fed up of it and started doing other stuff basically I started cooking and I'd always cooked anyway but I started cooking and doing supper clubs and really really enjoying it I love the way that feeding other people cooking for people makes me feel I love it the way it makes them feel I love the way it can change a moment in a person's life I love the way that you can fill a room suddenly with joy just by putting a pot of food on the table and you know whatever it may whatever it may be in that pot and just sharing it back in the day when I literally had no you know no money single parent I knew that if I had like you know five quid you five quid you can but you used to be able to buy chicken wings rice salad and you've got a party right you know if you know how to cook some chicken wings and I do then you can really <laughs> have a great time with your mates you know they get the cider you get the cider I'll get the chicken wings I'll see you back at the flat do you know what I mean and it was a way for us to really enjoy ourselves when we did when we didn't have much and how did you fit that in with being a mum what cooking well no just that lifestyle yeah, and, and I mean I just used to slap her on and get on with it I didn't I never saw them as separate things you know I would do gigs because I was singing back then as well I used to do gigs and then the sort of stage manager would hold Makita while I went on, you know, did the set and then come back, I'll strap her back on and go home. I did, I think because I was very young, this, you know, when you're young, you're so adaptable, aren't you? You don't really see the, the young things that can get in the way. You just get, you just see the thing that you want to do. I was just thinking about the email we got from Fiona, who was feeling judged as being a mum at 53 and with her partner who's 15 oh, fuck them, seriously it's none of their business <laughs> literally none of their business are you happy are you and your partner happy is your baby happy are you really happy you sound she sounds so happy that they found each other and they made this beautiful baby together who gives a shit what other people think it just doesn't matter what matters is the love in your house and the love in your heart and the family that you've made for yourself and the people that you really care about it just Everybody's got an opinion about everybody else. It's just, you know, they're like ourselves. Everyone has one. <laughs> no, that's true. They do, but you have spent, and you've explained how you spent a lot of your life being judged. Mm-hmm. So you know what it's like to be judged. So to get to that point where you can say to Fiona or indeed the world, yeah. you know, who gives a fuck, is a big shift. Yeah. It is a big shift, but I guess for me it's been a gradual shift. It's like we carry so much extra anxiety. Everything's hard enough already. That's what I realised in the world. Life is not a simple thing. It's already an uphill climb. If we also add the weight of other people's opinions into your backpack, you're never going to get up the hill. 
Do you know what I mean? You've got to make your backpack as light as possible so that you can get up to the top of this fucking mountain that we're talking about, you know? I have a real policy where I tell people what I feel when I'm feeling it because I realise that if I let all that stuff build up, like if somebody upsets me, I will just tell them straight away. I don't sort of wait three weeks and walk around resenting it because that's toxic. That stuff's poison to me. Do you know what I mean? And then I find myself like feeling weird and freaked out and I don't know why. And it's like, oh, yeah, because that thing happened a couple of weeks ago and I've been walking around. It's been gnawing at my subconscious a bit. You know what I mean? So I have found for me, I'm not telling everybody that's how they should be, but for me, straight up straight away get it out cards on the table let's just deal with what we've got to deal with and then move on is the best policy Mm, right I'm loving this yeah it's definitely not about fighting all the time it's definitely not about fighting all all the time it's definitely because that's just exhausting I don't feel in a combative um, place at all most of the time I feel I feel pretty relaxed because I feel empowered in my life I feel like I can make the choices I want to make if I don't want to be in a situation because I don't like what's going on I will take myself out of it but there's a beautiful full circle isn't it because what you described your earlier life as was you know it was about you're in war mode and and you had to navigate all these hostile situations for you now at this stage in your life at 60 to feel that you you know, we'll choose your situations and you have that sense of agency. Um, I mean, it just must feel like, whew. I mean, it's that's what I mean. It's fucking great. I feel, I'm in a really good, I'm a very happy person right now, you know, because I just don't feel encumbered by all of that stuff that held, that held me back for sure when I was much younger. You used an expression earlier on about getting to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Do you, do you feel at the top of the mountain? Yeah, fully, absolutely, and you know, and I'm scared of heights, <laughs> but I do feel like I'm at the top of the mountain. I do feel like the air is good, and I feel like I'm just going to keep going because that this is the choice I'm making for myself. Hmm. The other thing, because I do a bit of research, you never know. Your look huh? is really, really interesting to me because it's vibrant distinctive a lot of women once they get to a particular age start to sort of fade into the background and clothes become more conservative and styles become more conservative and you are in the entirely opposite is that a conscious decision on your part or is just you it's always been you it's just always been me I just love color I mean when I was very depressed I did go for a couple years of wearing black all the time and uh, when I came out of that I was like oh god it made me feel so fusty it was horrible and uh, I just don't do it. I do wear, I mean, now I've got orange trousers and a jumper with a big pink star. And you know what I mean? I just, orange and green. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got orange tracksuit trousers on. Do you know what I mean? Wearing colour makes me feel good. It uplifts my spirit up. You know, you know, in, in I think it's in Buddhism, orange is the colour of um, spiritual transformation. Wearing certain colours makes you feel good. Bright colours, red and orange and turquoise and all of, you know, vivid colours makes me feel vivid. I'm, I'm laughing in anticipation at your answer to this question, but do you ever feel you should dress your age? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> God. I don't even know what that means. I hate that shit when people are like, oh, what women over 65, 55 should be wearing. It's like, it's an absurd notion, isn't it? It's an absurd notion. It's yeah. a ridiculous notion. I mean, who decided it? Who made it up? Some bloke somewhere back in 1952. Why would I listen to some 
old dead twat. I mean, I'm just not. In, <laughs> it's, just, it's a ridiculous idea. I'm not even prepared to have the conversation with people about. It. <laughs> You're becoming more Scottish by the minute. <laughs> twat. One thing I did buy, and I was talked into it, and I'm sort of quite annoyed with myself for for being talked into it, was a pair of shorts that I bought just about a month ago, and they're a wee bit too short. Are they batty riders? Do you know what a batty rider is? No, so do they are. Batty is your butt, is your is your bum. No, so no, a batty I'm not rider is when it cups right around your batty. Does it yes, do right. No, it doesn't. How, have you got a good ass? Have you got a good bum? So, yes, she has actually. Yes. So why are you worried about it? Just get it, get them. Isn't it funny? My sister said, "No, they're fine. They're fine." I'm so used to seeing you in shorts, but they're maybe about an inch shorter than the norm. And it suddenly it feels like ooh, but why does that bother you? It just What's does. The norm? It's What's the norm as well that you wear? Yeah, so it's the kind of thing. I think I said to my sister, "Oh God, no! I'll wear them on holiday because then you never you can wear it. You can off with anything on holiday." But back here, mm, I don't know. It's been a bit being judged. I think. Yes, I seriously. Mm. I mean, I've said it before, and I'll say yep. it. Again. Do what you do. What makes you happy? We're here once. It's very brief. You should just be happy. Yes. Right. A couple of numbers between uh, 1 and 60, Andy. 45-32. Right, hold on. 45-32. Oh, this is actually quite, um, yes, it's quite apt. Have you switched to comfy underwear yet? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was expecting a no. Isn't that funny? Oh, I don't like being uncomfortable. Why would I want to be uncomfortable? I just wear things that make me feel good. I hate cutty, stupid little knickers. No, no. Right, so describe, are they... Well, right now I've got like so sort of um, they're red like shorts, you know, like those nice sort of I don't even know what the fabric's called. It's some weird new man-made M and S kind of, but they're shorts. I like those kind of knickers. Right. Okay, that's cool. And thirty. What was the other number you two. said? Thirty-two. Two, I think. All right. Your favorite photograph of you? Uh oh, there's a photograph of me on the roof of. Um, my boyfriend used to run this place called Cordy House and I've got, I'm just having the fucking time of my life. I'm just laughing my head off and I've got thigh high boots on and a pair of batty riders, actually. A little <laughs> pair of denim batty riders. And some, I can't even remember what the top is, but I'm cracking up. And every time I see it, I just remember how I felt inside that moment. And it was a joyful moment. Yay! <laughs> you do. <know. laughs> oh, lovely. this Mandy, it's been lovely to spend time with you. Thank you so much. Good, I hope I wasn't too depressing. Oh, God. The no, opposite. It's lovely. The, the opposite. 100%. Good. Thank you Good. so much. It's, it's lovely, lovely to meet you. you both. Thank you for having me. Next week on How to Be 60, you found stardom as Arthur Daly's nephew in the 90s hit Minder which regularly attracted audiences of more than 15 million. Gary Webster's had his fair share of ups and downs since then, but he remains ever optimistic as he approaches the big 6-0.